The message is entitled, God Viewed from the Bible. You know, one of the problems today that's very fundamental, very basic, is that everybody has a perspective or an opinion or a semblance of understanding about God or the things of God. But the problem is that they're not drawing from the Word of God. So everybody is allowed to believe and almost um, demand that they be heard if they have an opinion, and their opinion is as valid as anyone else's. What field would you ever find that in? In mathematics? That you could say that, according to you, a 1 is equal to an 8, a 2 is equal to a 4? It would never work. Or any other scientific field that is based on absolute truth of natural science, which is observable and it can be duplicated in a lab. It would never change. You wouldn't be allowed to have a second opinion that is contrary to natural law. And it should be no different if we think with common sense and logic that if we're going to have the right view or perspective about God, that it must be according to the Bible. You must view God from the Bible. If you start from earth, you miss heaven. If you start from heaven, you'll hit earth. And that's what God did when he came down. There's some simple truths that if we look at them, it will demonstrate that any other opinion that contradicts the Bible is exactly that, a contradiction. But again, you must compare it to that plumb line, to that standard. The first truth is that God is a creator, and as a creator, he is holy. Now, he reveals himself as a creator of everything in Genesis chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's not trying to convince you. He makes it a statement of fact. He created everything. Then he tells you the shape of the earth and the condition was in without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then he tells you the spirit of God brooded or hovered above the water. And then he began to create one, two, three, four, five, six. And then the seventh, he rested. And he tells you exactly. And after every one, he says it was good, 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 good. The last one, very, very good. He's perfect. So if we're going to have any semblance of correct theology or correct opinion, if you will, about creation, then I have to go to God's Word. If I go to true science, true science that is observable and it can be duplicated in the lab, then it will not contradict the Word of God at all. Now, if you're going to look at creation from the uh, hypothesis of the evolutionary model, then now you've got to come up with all kinds of incredible imaginary theories that contradict the word of God in common sense. See, God says he created out of nothing. In other words, he just spoke it into being. Everything you see. Evolutionary process says that it took a vast amount of years, millions, billions, trillions of years, and through that process there was a very slow, progressive, evolutionary change that transformed you, and you used to be a little polywog, and now, you know, here you are, 
a full-blown human being. My question is, if evolution keeps evolving, why did we stop? We should be evolving, and that's the new philosophy of today, right? That you're still evolving. The universities teach it. Christian colleges teach it, some of them. So that your sexuality is not determined by your birth, but your sexuality is determined by your journey through life because you're evolving. So now they've contradicted what the Word of God says. You have to judge everything by the Word of God. As He's the Creator, He's holy. He created the heaven, the earth, the sun, the moon, everything that's listed there in chapter 1. Out of nothing. He created chronological time out of eternity. We'll run the full cycle. When Jesus comes back, we'll have the kingdom age, and then we'll have back into eternity. Time will cease as we know it. There's chronological time. There's specific time that we know it, past, present, future. God's eternity is an eternal present. Something we can't even understand, except by just find that it never ends. So being um, eternal, then he is absolutely holy because he demanded a certain standard for Adam and Eve. He reveals himself as a creator and that man should worship him. Now, if you're God, that's not a selfish demand. That's a very just demand. Because being God, you created man. And you know what's best for man. And you have the best view in mind for man. You as a father, if you're a father and mother, you're going to have kids. Those of you who are not married, you will one day. And you will do everything you can in your power to do the best for your children. Because you're the adult. Now, when you take God who is perfect, then there's nothing he can do wrong towards his creation. But God, as the creator, also doesn't force himself upon man, so he gave a free will to every person that's ever been born. He started with Adam and Eve. He says, you can eat of this stuff, this one thing, don't touch it. And he said, what one thing? Right? God gives us all kinds of stuff, but we want the thing that we can't have. That's sin nature. He's absolutely holy. And so in the worship of God, man twists things and he begins to worship of God that um, is really not according to the scriptures. Because the God they worship is a God that doesn't make judgments, a God that really doesn't care how you live. He's just loving, he's just forgiving, and he doesn't make judgments. Because after all, God is love, right? Well, any of you have a, a coin in your pocket that has two heads or two eagles, the same face on both sides? And would you believe that's a legitimate coin? It's a phony. There's the God of wrath and the God of love. Right? Why? Because he's holy. His holiness demands his wrath and his wrath demands his holiness. They go together. And so man obeyed God in the worship of him in the garden, but not till after he was redeemed. And God set that in order. So the worship of God was really worked out in obedience, but man disobeyed. And then through that, sin and death entered in. And so it passed on to every individual. So now the philosophy of many is that that's not 
their God. That that's a wrong concept of God. Because they've been taught that God is love. Only one aspect of it. And so again, people create God in their own image, their own likeness. That was um, narrated in the Olympics in the 2004 Olympics that was sharing about a swimmer who had a tattoo in honor of her mother. She had passed. And that she drew strength from it and energy from it. Um, in 204, we had already embraced a great new vocabulary of the um, New Age movement that started moving into our country. Um, way before that. And, um, and they even took her ashes in her urn to Athens for a competition. Now you may say, well, that's, that's touching, but that's pagan. All those superstitious things is pagan. Do you think when a person is cremated that their ashes, that's really them? That's just their body. If they know the Lord, they're instantly present with Him. If they don't know the Lord, they're instantly separated from Him. So all I'm doing is carrying around a bunch of ashes. That if you're a Christian, one day Jesus will raise up and glorify that body. To us, it's difficult. For God, it's not difficult at all. Whether you're buried, whether you're cremated, doesn't matter. Otherwise, we'd have to say that God cannot raise those who have died in fires. Right? <laughs> and of course he can. So again, we have to check everything by the word of God. So today people are worshiping everything from the uh, creation, to nature, to themselves, their intellect. And they worship things that um, are, are molded by the culture. Whether it be um, um, a religious influence, whether it be a political influence, whatever it is. And today there's a lot of divinity that is um, propagated to our worth. And that there's a spark in us, that there's a divine aspect in us. And if we dig deep enough, then you know we can develop it and all that. But again, where, where's all this coming from? It certainly is not found in the Bible at all. So once again, we have to say that if it doesn't correlate with the Bible... It's we who are wrong and not God. But when you've lowered the standard in a nation or in a family or in a school, now those people don't have the ability to think logically and rationally and with objective truth. It's not that they don't want to. It's that they have no longer the ability. You can get the greatest computer you want, biggest and everything, but if you don't have the software for it, it's worthless. You've got to get your software from the Bible <laughs> to be correct, for it to work properly. So God, the Creator, is holy. He demands perfection. Man blew it, but He redeemed them to give a way by which we could come back to Him. And so God is the Redeemer also. And because He is the Redeemer, He demonstrates His love in the biblical sense. In other words, He loved Adam so much and He saw His fallenness through Eve that He gave a promise in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman would come one day. And the seed of the woman speaks of a woman becoming pregnant 
and having a child without the aid of a man. You ladies have the egg, the man has the sperm. And when a husband and wife get together, a little baby's born. Have the chromosomes from mom, have the chromosomes from dad, and there you got a little perfectly formed sinner, just like the parents. No woman has ever brought in an, a non-sinner. There's always one more sinner. And by the way, ladies, you're a walking altar. In Leviticus, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And all you ladies get to an age, 12, 13, 14, and you begin your menstrual cycle. Now you have the capacity to bring forth a child. Every time you have your time of the month, that egg is positioned. When that egg is not fertilized, that egg represents a potential life. When it isn't brought forth life, how does God atone for it? Through blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. You're a walking altar. And then you get to an age where you no longer can produce. You no longer need the blood. Right? Is God incredible? The image and likeness of God. Now, do you think that you evolved? You went from a monkey to what you are now? From a polywalk to what you are now? It's really insulting, isn't it? God gave man a free will and he chose in Genesis 3 and 4. He chose the wrong thing. Now we are fallen as a, as a, as a race. And therefore when we're born, we are born with sin nature. And the evidence of sin and sin nature is that every one of us dies. Every one of us, if the Lord tarries, we will die physically. Uh, and then after that, the judgment. And so... God made the way through that blood of Genesis 3.15 and then he gave Adam and Eve the choice to repent and they did repent. But it was by the killing of an innocent animal to cover their sin and cover their nakedness. And so now they had fellowship with God again and that was the token for ongoing fellowship with God. They would have to get a lamb or goat or depending on what the, the Levitical law wasn't given until years afterwards and they would lay their hands on it. That sin would be transferred symbolically. They would cut the throat of the animal. The animal would fall to the ground. The blood would be put on the horns of the altar would be filleted. There would be fellowship with God. Now aren't you glad that you don't have to take a lamb every time? You'd go broke. It's now the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps us in fellowship. But the big difference is that now we don't live the way we used to if we're Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're living the way dead people live. You live for yourself. You live according to your own opinion, to the standards of the world. And you, when you say, I don't think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. I don't think there's anything wrong with living with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I believe you. I believe you're sincere. But you're sincerely wrong. Because the Bible says you're sincerely wrong. And you don't want to be wrong when it comes to eternity. Now you can be wrong about buying a house, you lose some money, and buying a car, you lose some money. But when you're talking about eternity, you do not want to be wrong there. Okay? Because it's forever. When it comes to life and death, 
You want to talk to somebody who has died and come back from the dead. None of your professors or you guys that are university have ever died and come back. Okay? Not your philosophy teachers, your logic teachers, none of those guys. Okay? Not the shrink. <laughs> none of them. They have many opinions, but they don't know. They've never died. Jesus has. God through Isaiah says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool, Isaiah 1.18. God pleads with man for repentance. God pleads with you, with I, if we don't know him, that we might see ourselves as God says we are, dead in trespasses, an offense to him, rebels to him. It doesn't mean that you have to have all these ugly sins and that you've been just so debauched. No, no, no. The minute a child is born into the world, they're little sinners. They have a sin nature. Take the smallest of child when they start crawling around. And you ask some things and they prop up and they grab it. And because they're kids, you know, you're gentle with them. You say, no. And their lip goes up or something. And then you keep watching them, and they look to you, and they go, Why are they looking at you? Because they have a conscience, they know right or wrong, and they want to do wrong. You said no. What do you mean no, Willis? What's wrong with that kid? He's your kid. He's just like you, a rotten sinner. Though you have a potential for good, creating the image and likeness of God, your bent and my bent is towards evil. Darkness will always attract us. That's why we need to be born again. So with the divine nature, we can live the way God can enable us to live. If not, we'll live like the rest of the world, dead in trespasses and sins. And so God in his grace has made Jesus the propitiation for our sins and not ours alone, but the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. The blood satisfied the demand of God for the payment of sin. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't something that God just made up. Jesus cried on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. If you go down about three verses, he tells you why he said that. Because you are holy. Jesus became sin for you who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus took my sin upon himself. And the father's wrath was poured upon him for me. And he made the payment. He literally died in my place. Now if I believe what God says that Jesus did for me. And I believe that I'm a sinner. Separated from God. And that if I call on his name. And accept that he paid the price for me. And asked him to forgive me. That he will forgive my sins. And make me new. And make me a child of God. Then I am acting in faith. Faith always points you back to the revelation of God. It's not what you believe. It's what did the Bible say. If the Bible would have said for you to be saved, all you have to do is snap your finger three times, jump up and down, and hit the ground three times. That would be faith. If you whacked on the instructions and the word of God, that's faith. He says you're a sinner. This is a savior. He took your place. It's the only way to get to heaven. Now, there's no room. There's no wiggle room. There's no 
name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Acts 4.12, Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me, Jesus said. John 14.6. Now, either Jesus is lying or he's telling the truth. Which is it? You can't have it both ways. So you've got to weigh everything out that you believe, everything that everybody teaches you, everything you hear on TV, everything you hear in your universities, in your school, and weigh it against the Word of God. Because you're going to spend eternity somewhere, in heaven or hell. That's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. The second most important decision is who you're going to marry. Because they will affect you for the rest of your life. And your children. So the priority is first get married to Jesus. <laughs> and then he'll direct you on the believer. And your standard will be a believer. Not a non-believer. Because he doesn't want you to be unequally yoked. Because if you're a young lady and you are a Christian. And he wants to go out on a date on Friday night. And he's bringing you home about midnight or one o'clock. He's not going to want to read Proverbs. Okay? It's just not going to work. He's going to want to be in Galatians and the works of the flesh. All right? And for you thinking that you're going to convert him or change him over or vice versa, you young guys, you have to be careful because then you add to your own hurt. So the most important thing is, do you believe what the Bible says about you, even when you're born again, that you still have that sin nature? That if you don't obey like Adam and Eve, then there's consequences that come, right? We can't blame God about it. We can't blame others about it. I'm a free will agent, right? I make decisions every day. No one can force me to make those decisions. And so God's a redeemer, but he's a redeemer of love. But what's his love? How is it revealed? It's revealed that he died in my place. So that I can be reconciled to God. That's the God of the Bible. Not just that he's love and he doesn't care how you live and he doesn't judge you. That's not biblical at all. But also, the fact that God is the prosecutor and the judge and because he's both, he's just. In other words, he can make no mistake at all. When God declares me to be a sinner... He does so with all the information and all the understanding of what a sinner is and that a sinner cannot stand before him unless they repent of their sins. Being the redeemer out of love, he demonstrates his love by giving his son and by pouring his wrath out on his son. And therefore his love is genuine and is effective. His love was demonstrated. God didn't save us by his love. He saved us by killing his son. Because he loves us. If you're a parent, your child is wayward, gets into drugs or whatever. You love that child. You hurt for him. But all your love cannot change them or save them. They have to recognize their lostness and ask help. And forgiveness. Then your love can affect them. But not before. But the demonstration of that love was that he sacrificed his own son for me. And for you. And therefore, 
It's to cause me to love God. When I realize what he did for me, well, I deserve God's wrath. He extended his love for me, but his love was not fickle. His love is not non-judgmental. His love is very judgmental. He judged my sins upon his son. So I cannot believe in a God that doesn't judge. He is so serious about sin, and sin is such a detriment to your life and mine that he again executed his wrath on his son in our place. And so, we have many examples of unjust judgments in our society. And when they have taken place with this whole Hollywood scenario of television and internet, and we've been able to look into some of these trials and to see how flaky, how unjust, how tainted they are when the person has been guilty as sin and they get off because of a name, because of a reputation or whatever it may be. But God's not like that. When God judges man, he will make no mistake. People are always saying, well, what, what about the guy in the bush? Well, don't worry about the guy in the bush. You're hearing the gospel. Now you're accountable. God will take care of the guy in the bush. God will give everybody an opportunity before they die. How do I know? Because if he didn't give one person an opportunity, how could he judge him and still be just? If he's holy. He wouldn't be able to. When God looks at you and says, why did you reject me? You will never be able to say, I never heard about you. You never gave me an opportunity. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. This is your time. Maybe the first time, maybe the last time. I don't know. But you're a perfect example of every person before they die. They will have no excuse. Especially in the United States. Especially in the United States. And so, God says if you confess your sins, that he'll forgive them and just cast them in the deepest ocean. He'll never mention them again. He'll make it whiter than snow. He'll make you a new creation. All things pass away, everything becomes new. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're never going to make mistakes. It means that now you understand who created you the purpose of God's creation for you and how much he loves you and he wants to live through you so you can glorify him and so you can enjoy life to the fullest. Life has enough problems. Buckle up. (laughs) But it makes a big difference whether you go through life with Jesus Christ or without Jesus Christ. It's like riding a motorcycle that has shocks and a rigid frame. Big difference. You can ride 500 miles on a bike that has shocks and maybe a little tired, but not bad. You ride 500 miles on a rigid frame, you're going you're gonna to have kidney problems. <laughs> but you get to choose. So once again, if you have a concept about God, how does it measure up to the revelation of God's word? Because that's the standard. 
You cannot create God in your own image, your own likeness, your own opinion, and demand that God honor that. It won't happen. Now, down here, people will agree with you. They'll even commend you. They'll even applaud you. And if you believe in God, they make fun of you. They'll marginalize you. But if you tell them that you believe in this little rock and that little rock is giving you power and you've been able to just get ahead and all that, they'll just praise you. They'll, they'll promote you. We've become a pagan nation in many ways from our past history. But God still reaches out. If you're here tonight, God is reaching out to you. If you're over the internet. He sent his son for you. He judged your sin on him. If you believe that, you can call upon him. And he will forgive you of all your sins and give you eternal life. By grace, through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You must acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, abandon your sin, walk with God. That's what he does through the new birth. But only you can decide. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and those that are here perhaps do not know you, Lord, that you would deal with them. And Lord, Father, we thank you for bringing them, Lord, and that they would call on your name. Father, those over the internet also, that, Lord, they would call on you right now and that you would just show yourself strong on their behalf, Lord. As you're praying, if, uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if God has ministered unto you and made it very clear of your need of him, then that's the grace of God. We don't come to God because we're so smart. We come to God because our heart is open and then he reveals himself. And then he gives you a choice to repent or not to repent. Only you can do that. And if you're here tonight, if you see yourself as a sinner and that Jesus truly died for your sins and that he in that death made the payment for the sins of the world, then you can call upon him right now. And he's going to save you. Right where you sit. I'm not going to ask you to up nothing. If you mean, if you're sincere, you're going to walk out of here a brand new creature. You'll never be the same. You walk out of here playing games, you'll just be playing the next game when you walk out. It's all up to you. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to Jesus Christ right where you sit right now. Father, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I thank you for your son. Lord, cleanse me from every sin I've ever committed. Lord, give me a heart of flesh. Lord, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.